Last Tuesday was the annual State of the Union Address. We have a picture there. You see there's President Obama. Josh and I were sitting right up here in the balcony. We were uh, the first. That's supposed to be funny. We weren't there, folks. But the State of the Union is uh, actually, it's a constitutional uh, event. It's in the United States Constitution. Not necessarily that it had to be a speech that by report or by speech, the president should let the Congress know what's going on in our country. So you get the House and the Senate, you get them all there. It's a big deal. The president's telling about what happened in the country in the last year or so and what his dream or vision is in the days ahead. The first one that happened was George Washington on January of 1790. So that's how far these date back. And it's funny, if you've watched any of these before, you know, when they're over, the opposite party gives a rebuttal. So the president gets up for 45 minutes and talks, and then the Republicans or the Democrats come behind him and uh, explain away or blow away everything that he's just said. But it is important to share where our country has been and where it's trying to go. And this morning, that's kind of what we're going to do. But we're going to look more at the future. We call this our vision day. We started this in 2005, and we do not get a ch- give you a chance for a public rebuttal, by the way, although you can email me and rebuke me later this week. I'd be uh, sad to get that, but glad to get that too. But we're, we looked in our connection group class, if you were in those, at where our church has been the last year, and we're going to look this morning at not only where we're going, but how we're going to get to where we want to be. Our primary text is Acts chapter 2, but we're going to use several scriptures. But here's the first thing that I want to tell you. A church accomplishing great things is really important. Now, we're going to talk about church this morning. We're going to talk a lot about our church. If you're here and you're not a Christian today, I want to challenge you to to listen because this is This is really important stuff of Christianity, and this is really an important part of what Christians are to be about. If you're a Christian, you live somewhere else, and you're here visiting, this would apply to your church. But if you're here, you're a Rustonite, this is your church, you're considering being your church, this is important stuff for you and me. Folks, the, the word church is found 115 times in the New Testament. And the church means two things. One, it can mean the universal church, which is all Christians of all times. That means the people in China, Russia, and America, Louisiana, Texas, wherever, people who died in the Civil War, people who died a thousand years ago that are Christians, we're all part of the church. But 90 to 100 times, when it's used in the New Testament in its context, it's talking about the local church, the, quote, organized religion that you hear about, about the local body of Jesus Christ. And folks, the church is described in a lot of beautiful ways in the New Testament, two that are really profound. It's called the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, listen to what this says. And God placed all things under his Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, the church which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Folks, A local church is a super important thing. It's not just an institution or an organization. It's a living organism. It is a living, breathing thing. It is the body of Jesus Christ. And for it to accomplish great things, great things happen when it does. I want to share with you just two real quickly. One, it brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ. 
When a church is being a church, God is honored. We're going to look, read this passage here now, and we'll go back and look at it more in detail in a moment. But in Acts 2, verse 42 through 47, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is the early Christians, the early church. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good they gave to anyone as he had need. In verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Man, listen, this church, great things were happening in this church. It was accomplishing great things. And listen, it was making Jesus Christ shine. Folks, when his body and his bride shines, Jesus is glorified. Okay? Here's the second thing. When a church is hitting on all cylinders, it impacts people forever. We use the word eternity a lot in churches. And that's a churchy word. It is a biblical word, but it's sometimes that's eternity. What does that mean? Eternity means non-ending. Just a few passages of what was happening in this early church. In verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. How many of y'all have joined the church Sunday? 3,000. That's a pretty good day, isn't it? In verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Jump over to verse 4, chapter 4. But many who believed the message... Believed them that heard it, believed it, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Seems like they're a little bit numbers conscious here, weren't they? They, they were keeping up with what was going on in chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. The number of people getting saved, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You see, when a church is doing what a church should do, it's going to have great Bible studies. It's going to have great music. It's going to have, hopefully, good preaching and good teaching. And people are going to grow, and they're going to get stronger. They're going to love each other more. And people are going to be changed forever. We won't do this this morning, but there's a lot of people in this room today that you're going to heaven because of something that happened in this building. When I use this building, I mean the powerhouse, the gym, the children's building, this building here. That, that you are your children, are your grandchildren, are your grandchildren will be. You will be impacted forever. You can mark it down that First Baptist Ruston was a place where you met Jesus and you left changed forever. Is that not awesome? Yeah, you'll think it's awesome a thousand years from now. I promise you, you will. Ask anybody in hell today if what I'm talking about is awesome. See, when a church is being who it should be, it accomplishes great things. Now, here's the real important question. How will our church, this church, or if you go to another church, how will you accomplish great things? How's it going to happen? Let me give you some statistics that are staggering in in how bad they are. In America today, 80 to 85% of churches have flatlined or they're dying. Did you get that? In other words, 80 to 85% of the churches in America, the most, quote, Christian country in the world, are, are flat or they're dying. 
the Southern Baptist Convention, which we are a part of as a church that's been the greatest evangelistic and missionary denomination there has been, we've been on a baptismal slump for years. In fact, in 2012, our denomination hit a 62-year low for baptisms. In America, most people still profess they're Christians. The average number of church people in church a Sunday in America is 20%. Now, you could go home today and you can Google and you, you can look up different things and they'll say it's 40 or 45. That's not true because people lie to the pollsters. You dig a little bit deeper, what you find out is about 20% of people are actually in church every Sunday. Mike Benefield, a former education minister here in the late 90s, did a pretty thorough study of churches in Ruston in the late 90s. You know what? Mike found out that 20% of Ruston is in church weekly. That's phenomenal, isn't it? And America, by the way, is the fourth largest unchurched, unchristian nation in the world. Did you know that? We have more people who are lost or unchurched in America than every other country but three. That is phenomenal. So the country is growing numerically. Churches are going down. Baptisms are going down. What, how do you have a great church? That, that's, listen, that's not a trick question, but it is a tough question. Here's what we did several years ago. 2010, we got myself and Clayton, and we got seven or eight of our church members, and we formed what we call the vision team. And we met for a year and a half, and we prayed, and we discussed, and we argued, and we prayed, and we tried to figure out what does God want us to accomplish over the next nine years, by the end of 2020. If you were in connection groups, you heard some of the things and how we're doing with them. Uh, After church, we're going to give you a little booklet. It's it's more of a a big pamphlet. This is just part of it here. But I want to share with you our Vision 2020 goals, where we wanted to be as a church, by the end of December 2020, and then we're going to try to figure out how we're going to get there. Facility-wise, we said we wanted to have a new preschool and children's building. We're working on that. New gym and chapel, working on that. We just need about $11 million, and the good news is we know where it is. The bad news is you're sitting on it, and you're not giving it up right now, but... And we want to continually update our current facilities to keep them in great shape. Spiritual goals. So listen, some people get weird about numbers. Oh, they're counting numbers, numbers. Listen, you know there's a book in the Old Testament called what? Numbers. I'm reading it right now, and I promise you at times it's pretty tedious. But it was interesting in Acts how they were keeping up with the people being saved. So numbers are great if you're realizing that numbers are people. We want to average 1,100 in worship by the end of 2020. 800 in connection groups. We want to baptize 560 and take 400 through a call to joy discipleship program. We want to take at least 27 mission trips outside of Ruston and give at least 2.5 million to missions throughout the world and locally. We want to give 800 hours of service to our community and have for nine years that we take in more money than we spend. And listen, again, what the great news is is that we are on path to meet most of those things if we'll stay the course. The tough news is those are hard things to meet because the devil fights it and, and, and it is tough. So if having a great church is really important, what are the keys? I want to give you three keys this morning. Here's the first one. You've got to have a great Lord. 
You've got to have a great God. Folks, in, in, the, in the Bible, anytime anything great happened, Jesus was all in it and on it. It's not going to happen if Jesus is not in it and on it. Here's the great news this morning. Jesus is in it and on it. I don't have to pray. You don't have to pray, God, help our church be a great church. You don't have, I mean, I'm praying that, but it is God's will. You don't have to say, oh, God, if it's your will. It is his will. Hebrews 13, 8, you need to memorize this verse. Jesus is the same. Read this out loud with me. The same yesterday. Isn't that wonderful? Man, the same Jesus that healed still heals. The same Jesus that did miracles still did miracles. The same Jesus who was in the book of Acts is still the same Jesus today. So we got the number one ingredient. Here's the second one. We need ministers who are sold out to Christ and the church. Some of you are going, okay, we need to fire everybody and rehire the ministry team. I hope that's not true. I don't think that's true. Let me read to you again a couple of verses, verse 42 and 43. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Man, the early church, they had great leaders who loved God, who loved the people, and loved the church. That's, you've got to have that. Now, listen, I won't speak for myself. I'm going to speak for every one of your other ministers. They're great. Some of them are goofy. Every one of them is flawed. Some of them are pretty. Some of them, well, you know. Josh said he's sexy. If you uh, agree with that, see Brandon immediately after church. <laughs> but I want to tell you, I, I love these guys and these girls, and they are. Listen, they love you. They love their church, and they work real hard. Imperfect, but they're going to do everything they can. So here's the third thing. Here's where you get thrown in the mix. We need church members who are sold out to Jesus and his church. Now, I want to say some things, and I really want you to hear me today. If you're a Christian, you can't say, I love Jesus, I just hate the church. Now, I know some of you have been hurt by churches. I've been hurt by churches. I have friends who've been hurt by churches. You all, if you've been around church much, you've been hurt by a church. That's a fact, Jack. I mean, that's the truth. But once you get past that, and I'm talking long-term here, you can't say to some man, I love you, I just hate your bride. Listen, if he doesn't even like his wife, he's got a defender. He's not going to like that statement. I I mean, can you imagine going up to somebody after church who goes, hey, man, I love you. I just, your body, ooh, I hate your body. (laughs) I hate my body too, but... (laughs) I'm perfect weight for six foot eight. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> you, you can't love Jesus and not like the church. Again, I understand getting past the hurt and the transition. You can't say, I'm sold out to Jesus. I'm just not going to go to church much. That's just like saying, man, I love football, but I'm just not going to join a team. I'm going to tackle the trees and throw at the leaves. You go for it. I want to fight the, in the, you know, I want to fight the, the enemy. I'm just not going to join the army because I'm too independent and cool. You see, if you love Jesus, at some point you've got to move to that maturity where you, you love his church, you love his body, you, you love his bride. And here's what we're going to do this morning. We got, y'all didn't notice, we have chairs on the stage. Y'all notice that at all? Um, 
And so we're going to do a little walkthrough, and we're going to look at these chairs, and I want you to find yourself in, in a chair. Now, obviously, there's going to be some carryover. Uh, this isn't a perfect uh, at all. It's not perfect. But I think, I think you will be able to see yourself if you look hard and you're honest, okay? And the first three are non-members chairs. They're non-members chairs. And the first chair is what I, I call the non-member who is here kicking and screaming. Raise your, no, don't raise your hand if you're here kicking and screaming. What, what do I mean by that? Well, we have a rope here, like somebody put this around your neck and they dragged you. Some of you men, <laughs> your wives maybe, um, young people possibly. Uh, could that be you? <clears throat> you know what? I do not care why you're here. I am so glad you are here. Amen, church folks? Unless you're here to, you know, jihad or something. I mean, you know, we are very glad that you were here. We are very glad you're here. In fact, I became a Christian in this chair. I moved back home at 19. I told my dad I, I'd go to church on Sunday morning. I wasn't going on Sunday night. And he said, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. He said, that's my roof. I don't care if you're 119, you're going to go to church. And he won. That's great parenting, by the way. It's great parenting. So I go to church on a Sunday night. I had a hangover, and it wasn't from studying too much. And I didn't want to be there. I hated being there. I was kicking and screaming, and for some reason, what the preacher said, God spoke to my heart that night, and the next day, I became a Christian. I, I, I was in the kicking and screaming chair. This isn't where you want to stay, okay? This is kind of like isolation or whatever, but if you're here in this chair, be honest with yourself, but we want you to move. The second chair here is, this is the, uh, this is the attender chair. They're not a member uh, and they're not here kicking and screaming. They may, they may come regularly, maybe semi-regularly. It's kind of like a bleacher seat, as you can see. And, and, and this person, you know, maybe, maybe they're checking out the church, which is, which is normal. Maybe they're checking out Jesus. They're just kind of seeking to find out what's going on. Now, obviously, you can be a member in, in either of these chairs, too. Are you a Christian if you're in one of these two chairs? Ah, it's shaky. I mean, you, you certainly could be. You might be a, a young Christian in this chair, disenfranchised. But, but these are, we're just glad you're here if you're in these chairs. We, we want you eventually, within the next 20 years, to move out of these two. It, it, would be, it would be healthy for you. And this next chair over here, this is the committed Christian who, who just hadn't joined the church yet. Uh, we've got a hammer and a nail here because uh, they, just hadn't, they just hadn't nailed it down. They haven't driven it down yet. This is the person that probably truly they're more committed to uh, our church or to the church they're going to than, than church, some church members. They're committed. They come. They give their money. They want to serve. They want to be involved. But they just have not taken that next step to join. So some of you are in this chair, and this is a good chair it doesn't need to be permanent, but it is a good chair. It's a good place. Okay, now we're going to go over to our membership chairs. Now, this chair here doesn't exist. As you see, this is some kind of a musical thing. Uh, but this is a chair. We call this, I'm on the road, but I died in the Civil War chair. Now, what does this mean? <laughs> uh, now, this is, this is a real chair. Baptist churches in particular, and well, a lot, a lot of mainline church, we're notorious. If you join the church, unless you tell us to move or a church tells us to move your letter, you are on, you, 
until Jesus comes back. So there's a possibility someone joined in, in 1862, was killed at Shiloh in a few months, and we never knew about it, so they're still on the row here, okay? Now, here's, here's, that's funny, but here's the bad part of it. Some of you, if you're not real careful, you youth, you're going to be on this in 10 years. You're, you're, you're going to fall out of church. You're not going to join another church. In 10, 20, 30 years from now, you're going to be on this, this, this chair. Nobody's going to know where you are. You don't want to stay in that chair. Obviously, you don't want to stay in that chair. This next chair here is the casual on the roll person. I'm on the roll and you notice how pretty this chair is? How pretty, you know why? Because it's not used very much. It's pretty and it's very comfortable. This is, I'm going to come Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas, Christmas Eve. First Baptist has a great Christmas Eve service. I'm going to come Easter, maybe occasionally at other times. And my chair's pretty, isn't it? It's pretty, it's comfortable, it's ornate. You don't want to stay in this chair. For some reason, you thought this was Easter and you came today and you're in this chair. Awesome. Uh, We have Easter every Sunday here is what we tell people. So uh, we do talk about, you know, he arose every Sunday. So so if you're here, we love you. We want you to move. But this, a lot of people in this chair. Now, this is, this is the daddy chair here. Is that not the daddy chair? It's Zach's, by the way. Okay, this is, I'm on the roll, and I'm semi-committed chair. Why did we get this chair? Folks, pray for me, please. Is I, <laughs> I'm waving at the, the internet. This chair's awesome, isn't it? You notice it's camouflaged because I can hide, too. I can, I can blend in. I, you know, I wear green with the carpet and the pews, and I can blend in. It's very comfortable. This, this is the biggest chair, but this is the biggest chair, too, because this is where most... Pray for me again. This is where... <laughs> this is where... Glad Dr. Billy was sitting down close. I've had a, uh, but that's where most people are. This person, this per- we love this person because this is most, pastors love this pe- people because this is most of our flock. We pat them, we love them. It falls under a couple of categories. I mean, maybe the person who comes every Sunday, you just don't give, you don't serve, you get asked to do something, you just you can't, you're busy. Or maybe, here's the weird thing, so maybe you give, man, you give, and you, you'll serve, but you just don't come a lot. I mean, if there's, travel ball or a ball game, you can't make it. If it, it, if it rains too hard, you can't make it. You know, it's funny. It takes 50 gallons to baptize a Baptist and two drops of rain to keep them away. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, is this person saved? There's, there's a lot of saved people in this chair. There's a lot of lost people because we've made it too easy to join the church. And so, uh, this is a casual Christianity here. We love these people. And we're so glad you're here if you're one of these. But you need, to, you need to move. You need to move. Here's the next chair. And you notice this chair looks kind of intense. You can, you can roll around on it. You can look. Melanie, I see you. You can turn over here. You can, this would be a great preaching chair, Josh. Uh, this is pretty awesome. This is the I'm on the roll and I'm a critic chair. 
Now, none of you are in this chair, but take notes because you know someone who is somewhere else. We encourage them to go to two or three other churches in town. We, uh, good pastors over there, need to go there. This chair here, this is, uh, this is the person who's smarter than everybody else. Uh, this would be a good test to ask your husband or wife or some of your good friends or maybe your ministers. Do you know more about football than the coaches, but you're not a coach? Are you smarter than your doctor because you saw something on the Internet? Greg, they're always smarter than their insurance person, for sure. And then again, if you're really a critic, it, it, it comes into church, too. You're, you're, you're smarter. And, and sometimes the critic's easy to spot because sometimes they're just mean. I mean, they ate prunes when they were little, and they never got over what it did to them. They're just angry. <laughs> they're just upset. <laughs> I'm thinking face. I don't know what you are thinking. but <laughs> And so... But here's a, here's a more subtle critic. It's the critic who's not negative. I mean, they're even happy sometimes. But, but it's like this. Wasn't that a great service? But. Josh is a great youth minister. But. Wayne, that was a great musical. But. That church across town. What that Oh. Our church is doing okay now. But. 50 years ago, right after WW2, we were just... And the problem with this chair is it makes... It inflates you, but it deflates everybody else. In 1 Corinthians 10.10, listen, this is... This ought to shake you and me. Don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Can you imagine? That is God speaking through Paul to the church at Corinth, and he's telling them, stop it. Remember in the Moses era when they kept grumbling in the desert, what did God finally do? He said, hasta la vista, baby. You're out of here. Okay, if you're in this chair, we are very happy that you're here. But you need... you need to get over this, and you need to get, you're not pleasing God. You're not going to help your church. You're not going to help anything, by the way. And here's the last chair. This is the, I'm on the road, and I'm sold out to Jesus and the church. I'm on the road, and I'm sold out. This is a choir chair. We've got, it's, a, it's a chair you can get up in and out of easy, unlike the comfort big boy chair there. It's, it's comfortable, but it's meant to, to, uh, it, it, this is meant to use for people to sit down who are working, what it's meant for. And, and he, what we see in Acts chapter 2, go back in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, or look on the screen. Let's look, at, let's look at the kind of church members they had. They devoted themselves. They were dedicated, committed to the preaching and teaching of the Word, the fellowshipping together, the breaking of the bread. That was probably the Lord's Supper and the prayer. They were committed to these things. Look in verse 43 through 45. Everyone was filled with awe. And, and they did many wonders and miracles were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods and they gave to anyone as they had need. Listen, they didn't have a problem giving 10% to their church. They would, some of these people gave everything they had. That's not a requirement, by the way. But that's just showing when you love Jesus and you love his church, you're going to be generous. You're going you're to be generous. Now look in verse 46. Every day. 
See, we struggle getting to church once a week and we say we love Jesus and we love church. But we struggle getting here once a week. Every day they met together in the temple courts. Christianity and Judaism hadn't completely broken at this point. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I want to show you a picture of the temple where they were meeting. This is Solomon's colonnade. This is where they were probably meeting. Brian, show us that other picture. Look how big that is. Now, this was actually 300 yards, three football fields long. So you could have gotten two or 3,000 people in there for a huge worship service. Can you imagine how awesome that would have been when they sang and when they preached and they taught? Man, you're talking about God was rocking in that place, I guarantee you. And verse 47, and they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Folks, listen. If you're a Christian, you need to fall in love with Jesus and his church. You can't split those. God wants your church and he wants our church. He wants it to accomplish great things, not for us personally, but for him and for you and for everybody that we will impact. You've got to find a church where you can sell yourself out to Jesus and the cause of Christ there. Matt Chandler is a pastor in Texas, and I was listening to a sermon of his on YouTube recently. Matt said something so great before he began the sermon. He said, I thank you for tuning in to listen to the sermon. He said, but I want to tell you two things real quick. He said, one, this sermon is not meant to to, uh, take the place of your church. You need to get in a local church. He said, this sermon in, in me, I am not trying to take the place of your pastor. You need to get under the authority of a pastor in a local church and plug in there. That was that was so on target. Man, it's great to listen to other things and and to listen to other music and to read other stuff, but you've got to find a church where you can pour your life for the cause of Christ into it. Bill Hybels is the pastor of Willow Creek Church in Chicago, Illinois, a huge church. And Bill has said for years, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And I believe that is absolutely true because it's the body and the bride of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this morning, whether your church is somewhere else or your church is here, if it's up to you, is your church going to be great? If it's up to you, is your church going to be great? Well, let me throw this back at you. It is largely up to you. So here's what I want to challenge you this morning. We're going to stand in just a moment. And if you're not a Christian, what I want to encourage you to do is take a huge step, come down this aisle, and give your life to Christ today. There'll be ministers down here waiting on you. We can help you do that. Do that this morning. You're here today, and and you're ready to join the church. One way you can do it. You can join after the service. Catch one of us. We'll help you. Or you can, when we stand, you can come down here and talk to a minister and we'll help you join. Today, today may be to be your day. You come. But the rest of you who are members of our church, who are Christians, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge many of you to leave your seats and come to the altar and pray for our church. I want to challenge you to repent to where you have failed Christ and His church. I want to challenge you to make a commitment, maybe where you're standing, maybe with a minister, maybe at the altar, to say, Jesus, use me. 
I want to get in this chair and I want to stay in this chair the rest of my time here on this earth. Let's stand. And as we sing, respond this morning. Respond to Christ this morning.